Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thank you for downloading this week's episode of Under Consultation, where we dive into the conclusion of that Lisa saga that started last week. And we've got amazing interviews with Larry Bundy Jr. and Mensky. And all of this is possible by you downloading the show and spreading the good word of Under Consultation. And because of our wonderful backers on Patreon, who are currently listening to next week's episode, which has the Games Master debut of Super Mario Kart Pinball Fantasies and a VR game called Catch the the flag head on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod and help us reach our next goal where we'll do more episodes like under consultation but on different 90 shows like i don't know gladiators and the crystal maze and if you back at the five pound level you'll get next week's show a week early and ad free that's patreon.com forward slash under console pod an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, Ash Versus's main squeeze. And gushing out of Dominic Diamond's chopper, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 26th of November, 1992. <laughs> We're off to quite what the start. What are we doing with our <laughs> lives? Uh, we've got a brand new film that is number one at the box office. It's Sister Act. Lounge singer Dolores Van Cartier always wanted to be a star performer. Nothing you can say can tear me away from my God. But tonight, she's going to become a star witness. Hey, is there a problem? I've never seen anybody killed before. If you testify, I'm going to put you in the last place on earth that Vince would ever look for you. She's an ideal prospect for rehabilitation. Absolutely not. That is not a person you can hide. That is a conspicuous person designed to stick up. This is a banger of a film. I mean, this is a film, this is a sequel, this is a musical, which Whoopi Goldberg went back to and starred in again. Mm -hmm. But it almost wasn't Whoopi. This this film yeah. was almost Whoopi-less. It was almost 
Bette Midler. Th this whole film has got a fascinating history behind it because this is basically Whoopi Goldberg, the biggest African-American actor in North America at the time, going to war with Disney. And they were at war. Like her and Jeffrey Katzenberg were at each other's throats for the, for the entirety of the making of the film. Because the film, the script had been around since 1987 and then it was bought by Disney. That was when Midler turned it down because she thought her fans wouldn't want to see her play a nun. Yeah. Which is the weirdest justification <laughs> I've ever heard for turning down a role. Because you know what? If they're your fans, they'll watch you play anything. This is why I've seen so many shitty movies with Dwayne Johnson in. A lot of them are good now. But if yeah. you say, hey, this movie's out, it's got The Rock in it, that's 90 minutes of my life I'm never going to get back. But tell me more of this war. So yeah, I mean, essentially, one of the key parts of this story is one of my absolute heroes, Carrie Fisher, because she had transitioned a little bit into becoming a script doctor at this point. She had rewritten her dialogue for Return of the Jedi because she had told George Lucas that he cannot write women's dialogue and i mean as we know now he can't write any dialogue really but um Misa he, uh, not know yeah. what you mean <laughs> so, um and yet it was still better than rise of skywalker so she rewrote wow the knives are out tonight we're just punchy so, so she'd rewritten like her dialogue for return of the jedi and that got her to write a episode of young indiana jones chronicles for spielberg and then through that she started doing uh, punch-ups for um tinkerbell's dialogue in hook and through that she then got hired by disney to punch up the dialogue for sister act and so carrie fisher kind of retold the story that she was in a car driving basically having a conversation she was playing the mid the middle person she wasn't just the script dog she was playing the middle person between katzenberg and whoopi goldberg and she said uh this was from a uh, an entertainment weekly article from 1992 you are having a pissing contest with a guy who actually has a dick and then she told her i don't particularly advise people take my advice but i would avoid fighting him send Jeffrey a hatchet and say, please bury this on both of our behalves. And legend goes, Whoopi Goldberg actually sent Jeffrey Katzenberg a hatchet in the mail as a sort of peace offering to say, let's bury this and just work on the film together. I'm amazed by this because I never thought of Whoopi as being someone that was so... I won't say opinionated because she's definitely very opinionated, but that would get into such drawn-out fights... I think it was basically over the fact that she wanted a level of creative control across the film. She kind of saw this as her project. You know, this was a an African-American tale being told by the whitest of white companies in Disney. And here's, the, here's Jeffrey Katzenberg effectively telling her how to tell this story. And she was saying, no, this is how we tell this story. And that's this is where the, the war started to happen. We've also got a brand new song at the top of the chart. It's Charles and Eddie, Would I Lie to You? An absolute banger of a song. It was their debut single. It was taken from their album, Geophonic. Went straight into number one on the charts for two weeks, so we've got this for another week as well. I don't have anything interesting to say about this song other than it starts with a drum fill that I consider to be the drum fill you use when you don't know how to start a song. <laughs> if you don't want to just start it on a synth note or a guitar chord, 
you throw a drum fill like this in. It's used yeah. here uh, just before we started recording. I said it's also used uh, in the Spin Doctors, Two Princes. And I'm not saying it's a bad drum fill, but it is the drum fill that you use when you don't know how else to start the song. Well, this episode took place on the 26th of November and two days earlier, perhaps the biggest game release of 1992 hit the store shelves. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was released on Sonic Tuesday, which was intended to be and effectively was the first worldwide launch of a game. Sega of America had, as Tom Kalinske's idea essentially was, you know, we had a great release for Sonic the Hedgehog and that catapulted the Genesis in America and, you know, certainly helped within Europe as well. Um, not so much in Japan, but certainly in, you know, North America and in uh, Europe, that we need to do something bigger for Sonic 2. And their big idea was, we'll do a worldwide launch. It'll be released on the same day in every region that we're releasing this game. But the game was actually released a couple of days earlier in Japan because Sega of Japan, through their sort of odd little civil war that they were having with Sega of America, just wanted to <laughs> with Tom Kalinske's plan and released it a couple of days earlier without really telling them either. So Kalinsky and his team had to struggle and scramble together for their press release to say that the Japanese market got a sneak preview of the game a couple of days early. Man, that's a dickish move. Yeah. I mean, we've both worked in game stores at various times in our lives, and we've both obviously frequented them. We know that sometimes, and sometimes we benefit from this, you might get the odd store that breaks street date just under the counter, just occasionally. But holy sh**, an entire country? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's one way to avoid the fines, because what are they going to do? Fine <laughs> the entire country when they're doing it yeah. under instruction from the parent company. That's weird. The, the thing that strikes me is Sega might have actually got away with it because this was pre-internet. Yeah. Nowadays, that would blow up. That would be front page of the technology section of like the Guardian or the BBC. But back then, they could have probably fudged it. And they did, just by yep. saying sneak preview. I also uh, wanted to bring up this little thing, because we talked about the reviews last week uh, from the magazines. And uh, I posted up about Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on our Instagram, at uh, under.console. And someone posted in there, it was like, are you going to talk about Games Master Magazine's review of Sonic 2? And so we actually are going to do a bonus episode for the first issue of Games Master Magazine. We're going to do that in sort of January in the timeline because it was a quote-unquote January issue, although even though it was released sort of in December. But I did want to read a quote from the review before we get there because this is their review of Sonic 2. Sonic 2 is an important new release. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite justify itself as a sequel. The changes are there, but they're just not profound enough to transform the game into an essential buy for owners of the original. If it's a case of competing with your mates for the latest games, then do your utmost to resist the temptation to buy Sonic 2 for its hype value alone, 65%. Woof. Yeah, you want to talk about reviews that have dated poorly. Like, it's that and Chris Hewitt giving Attack of the Clones 5 out of 5 in Empire. While I think 65% is a, quite frankly, daft score, everyone's entitled to their opinions, I think that one might be wrong. It does lean into what we read of the CVG reviews the other week. Yeah, totally. Where they do actually give it good scores for graphics, good scores for sound, 
good score for gameplay, good score overall, but they dipped down the Mega Drive version because it is just a sequel. Yeah. They're not reinventing the wheel. They are refining what was there. Pretty much all the games that came out outside of that platforming format were the ones that haven't been well weren't as well received at the time and aren't as fondly remembered things like as you said sonic 3d sonic spinball sonic r the fighting game that they did it's like these sort of like little sort of detours away from the 2d platforming that brought them to the dance were the ones that people don't really get on board with and actually i am someone who was a defender of sonic spinball because as broken as the game can be I find it frustratingly playable and I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it. I'm, I'm hoping that comes up in the timeline at some point that we can dive a little bit more into Sonic Spinball because I have thoughts. I'll be honest, we've got a long trek ahead of us. We've still got 100 plus episodes. We can find a way to get <laughs> Sonic Spinball in there. It will definitely go past us at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and before we get into the show itself, uh, I did actually play Sonic 2 for the Master System for the first time this week. Oh yes, your research. Yes, I, I had a day <laughs> off from work, so I was like, I'm going to play Sonic 2 for the Master System and see if it is the superior version. Spoilers, it's not. However, I do place some of that blame upon me because when you get into the second level and you do the hand gliding bit could not get used to that for love nor money and i just kept crashing and dying i went on to reddit i found lots of other people saying they were struggling with it i just could not get the smeg in hand hand of it and eventually i gave up but i will say the first level that i played and finished i did enjoy i think i know where you went wrong and it's a mistake i made the biggest mistake you can make with Sonic 2 on the Master System is trying to play it like you would Sonic 2 on the Mega Drive. The physics are different. The timings are different. I don't know if that feeds into the hang glider because I've not played it for a while, but there are certain timing responses you'll be used to on the Mega Drive, which just won't be there. I mean, the, the jumping is really bizarre and takes a little while to get used to if, you're, if you are used to the Mega Drive era. But the hang gliding thing, man, like, you know, get in touch with us on Twitter at underconsolepod. Just could not get the hang of it for love nor money. Because it's like you press left and right. Like if you press left, that'll dip you down. Press right, that'll send you back up. I would get onto it, lose all speed and momentum, and then that'd be it. And uh, yeah, it was a, a frustrating half an hour I spent trying to get over that first chasm in the sky hide zone or whatever it was called. Oh, welcome to the show. Yes, we're back on Games Masters Nautical Holiday Camp. I've just been up to the helipad and I'm positively awash with the latest games players to come gushing out of my chopper. So let's begin our sprightful soiree with a little trip to the Games Master. Dominic Diamonds welcomes us to the show dressed as a member of Slipknot, saying that he's been up to the helipad and is awash of game players coming out of his chopper. Hey, that's a survival suit. That's like a proper full body, waterproof, you know, you can dunk into the ocean with that and you might survive. I was expecting him to tell me to wait and bleed. It doesn't get that dark for another couple of seasons. <laughs> yeah. Let's head on over to our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Greetings, and welcome to the Games Week. The first of this week's Jolly Japes is a prehistoric romp amidst the dinosaurs and pterodactyls of Joe and Mac, Caveman Ninja. You will need to negotiate the tricky first level in less than 90 seconds. A stern test of Neanderthal Mouse. Best of luck. 
So we're playing Joe and Mac, which we saw featured in Bad Influence. They gave it a little review of it there and quite enjoyed it. I played the game myself uh, over the week because you can tell I've had a couple of days off work. Um, and yeah, it's it's pretty good. I actually quite enjoyed playing it. I played it uh, around the time we were doing the Bad Influence episode. And again, I really quite enjoyed it. Games Master said you've got to complete the first level in less than 90 seconds, a level that he calls tricky, and I would say that it's tough going by the player that we saw on Bad Influence who died several times while trying to review it. And tonight's Neanderthal challenger is Bromley's very own Wolf Wood. <laughs> now, Wolf, you're actually here for a special reason tonight, aren't you? That's right. I've come to rescue my girlfriend, Lisa, who failed last week and is in the pit. That's right. Now, what we've said, because we're very nice people here, if you can complete this challenge, Wolf, Lisa will go home with you tonight. How have you been doing in practice? Pretty good. Pretty good. So you're confident we'll have a happy outcome? Yeah, I think so. Well, we wish you all the best, Wolf. We're with you. If you'd like to take your place in the games playing chair, we'll tread tenaciously up to start. But hopefully not bombing it through this challenge from Bromley, it's Wolf Wood. Cool name, dude. Cool name and cool look. His aesthetic is my spirit animal. <laughs> he is 1987 to 88 slash. Yeah. That hair, that look, the trousers. I don't know what time period appropriate Ash thought of him, but I'm looking at this guy now and I'm like, you, sir, are owning that look and I got a <laughs> lot of respect for you. Also, the fact that you can play any fucking video games through that hair because he he may have eyes. I'm not sure. Uh, and interestingly, in a storyline that we've got here on Games Master, following on from last week's episode, he is the boyfriend of Lisa who biffed it while playing the Adams Family on the Super Nintendo and was sent to the pit. And what they've decided here, because they're nice people, is if he can complete the challenge, not only will he win the Games Master joystick, but they're going to free Lisa from the pit. There is no information given as to what happens if he loses, like, I mean, does he go home alone? Does he get sent to the pit? Do they hook him up with a diver? Who knows? I'm going to assume that she stays there because, spoilers, he does get through this challenge and wins. And he says that he was worried that he might have to get a new girlfriend. So I'm going to assume that Lisa was going to stay there. He was just to get back onto a helicopter, head back to the UK and be like, well, time to get on the dating apps, I guess, or whatever the 1992 equivalent of dating apps were. Video dating. <laughs> oh, no. You've seen that episode of Bottom. <laughs> I, I can't see you, obviously, but I bet you've all got smashing glasses on. <laughs> I hope you've all got smashing blouses on. <laughs> so this is an interesting one because... We're going to get into an interview in just a moment. It's sort of about someone who applied for this role. So we do know that this wasn't always the plan, at least when they're in the audition stage. So here's my theory. My theory is Wolfwood auditioned and he came in to do his challenge. And he brought Lisa along with him because she was his girlfriend and you got free tickets. We found that out when we interviewed Duncan Willis when he did his uh, his sort of review section a couple of um, episodes ago. He texted me to say the one thing he forgot to mention in the interview was that he was given tickets to go and see the recording of the show live and he got to take family members with him. So we can presume that Wolfwood did the same thing with Lisa. And when they saw Lisa, they were like, wow, you're also very cool. We've got this Adams Family game. 
you are more Tisha-esque, we'll have you play that game. She completely biffed it. And then they were like, well, I'll tell you what, the plot to the Joe and Mac game is about rescuing women folk to quote bad influence. Why don't we just make it that he's got to try and rescue her from the pit? And we'll do that in the next episode. That's that's my theory on how this came to... We have reached out to people that worked on the show for some clarification on this. And unfortunately, I've come up a bit empty. But that's my, that's my theory on this. I'm kind of with you. I'm thinking that they may have done it a bit backwards. Although I think, I'm thinking they may have done it the other way round. I'm thinking that they got Wolf on and then they went, she looks pretty cool. Hey, Lisa, are you a games player? Oh, no. Brilliant. <laughs> Play this game. Is she any good at it? No. Brilliant. Right. Put her out there. Yeah. There's a very high probability she's going to fail. And boom, manufactured the storyline. Art imitating yeah. life, imitating art. They kind of deliberately orchestrated it so they would be in a position where they could have Joe and Mac mirroring Lisa and Wolf. Yeah. But the one thing that it does do, no matter how they reach that end result, it does actually make for a fun little bit of television. And joining me for this romantic challenge is a man who's no stranger to a conquester too, Frank O'Connor from Super Action. Welcome, Frank. Thanks very much. Now, Frank, there's a lot riding on this tonight. How can you help with Wolf? Well, he's going to have to do it quickly. He's got one and a half minutes to get to the end and defeat the dinosaur. And his main squeeze is in the pit, so he's going to have to get her back, isn't he? Oh, right. uh, before we get to that, we've got Frank Connor, who is no stranger to a conquest or two himself, uh, where he calls Lisa the main squeeze. He's a player. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Wolf is someone who has got a, he has got a goal in mind here, which is I am going to rush this first level and just get to the boss as quickly as possible. I will take hits along the way, but as long as I just get the bone weapon, that's all I'm interested in. I'm going to jump over enemies. I'm going to run past them. I'm not quite damage boosting myself. It's not like when uh, in episode two with the guy playing Chuck Rock, but he is just running through this to get to the boss. He's running through it. He is trying to jump over the enemies. He's just not doing it terribly well. Yeah. This is an early speedrun attempt again, because 90 seconds really isn't a lot of time. If he hadn't grabbed those chunks of meat, he would have been stuffed. He gets to the end section, and at that point, he has taken a bunch of hits and has doled out none. He has not hit a single enemy. He's jumped over a few, he's walked across one, but he has issued zero damage. He gets to the end stage and he knows exactly where he's going. He jumps up, he walks to the left of the ledge and he is waiting for this dinosaur to emerge from the left-hand side of the screen. And before it even appears, he is just wailing on the projectile button. He is yeah. throwing bones constantly. And he doesn't move. He doesn't. He doesn't attempt to dodge. He takes hits. He loses energy. And as time goes on, it becomes a three-part race. Will he run out of health first? Will the dinosaur run out of health first? Or will the clock run out of time? Yeah. And by Jingo, I don't care how we got here. This is some tense as fuck gaming. And you know what's like? It's wild as well, because he gets to the boss with 35 seconds left on his timer the boss actually takes nearly 10 seconds to appear and start take damage. So you've got like, that's 10 seconds of your already quite tight time lost while you wait for an animatic. 
And yeah, he just stands there. And like, you can hear Frank O'Connor say like, this is not a wise strategy because he's taking hits. And Dominic is just like, he can't quite believe this is the tactic he's going for either. It's a bold play because you're right. He, then you, you get yourself into that three clock situation. And he does this with just enough health to survive and two seconds on the clock. It is tight. It's brilliant because you know what? It may not be the wisest tactic, but I bet you it's one he tried in rehearsal and it's one that worked for him there. He went into this with a plan. He knew he would have to sacrifice himself for love (laughs) and a joystick. Well done, Wolf. Excellent display there. It did get very tight at the end. Was there ever any time when you thought you were going to have to go shopping for a new girlfriend? Over the water was difficult. But you did it at the end. And as a result, not only have you won the golden joystick, You have won a prize worth more than a million golden joysticks. You have rescued the fair Lisa. In the post-match, Dominic Diamond asks if he was worried he had to get a new girlfriend. And he said getting over the water was the hard bit, which, funny enough, is where our lad in bad influence kept dying as well. And Dominic says that he's won a prize that is better than all the joysticks, the fair Lisa, who comes out of the pits, hopefully not stinking of the animals that were down there when she was dragged there against her will last time. And they give a little kiss. She hands him the joystick. And it's pretty lovely, actually. I really, really liked it. It is. It is a very sweet and touching ending, which is immediately made more sleazy. by Dominic Diamond. Well, if I slip a discreet veil and let our young couple explore each other once more, we're going to take a quiet look at this week's reviews. Who says it's time to draw a discreet veil and let our couple explore each other once more. <laughs> and I'm like, God's sake, Dom, they are not going to f- in front of an oil rig full of rabid teenagers. But before we get to the impending reviews, as you alluded to earlier... Wolf was not the original competitor lined up for this challenge, but we know who was. And so we reached out to and were very happy to hear back from Larry Bundy Judia. We are joined today by Larry Bundy Jr., a.k.a. Guru Larry. He's a television presenter, a comedian, a YouTuber, an artist an all-round creative tour de force. Ah, that's You'll allegedly, that is, by the way. <laughs> Sorry? Allegedly. <laughs> no, you are definitely a creative tour de force. Literally, just to open my YouTube, you're all over it. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> but you will see him on either his own channel or in other works from people such as Stuart Ashens, Mr Biffo, and your voice just appears randomly on other videos that I didn't expect it to oh, as yes. you do voiceover work, which oh, is a, a lovely little oral surprise. Oh, thank you. That sounded better in my head. But anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today, Larry. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. We're at an interesting point. We're kind of halfway through or approaching halfway through season two of Games Master. Mm-hmm. So we're in 1992. You're 12, 13 years old. Yes, yes. Yep. I'm cool. glad say, yeah, yeah. What was teenage Larry up to? Where were you before you reached the point where you're like, I want to be on that TV show? I don't know. I think I think Games Master was like really exciting for me as a kid. That's why I wanted to be on it. But I think just into playing games and that, I think 1992, I think I just got a Super Nintendo for my birthday in the May. So, so I, yes, right. Yes, I did because I had... I was playing some import games. I was playing Joe and Mac, and I actually had a, an American copy of it at nice. the time. So, yes. Hmm. 
So you were quite you were well versed in the game. Yes, then. I was into import gaming back then. I think started off a sort of talent. I had a Japanese Mega Drive beforehand as well, so I got into that. So what led to you going? I want to be on Games Master. Like, was it was it between seasons, and you decided to write in, or? Yeah, I think they advertised at the end of the first season they were making a second series, and uh, I, you know, I'd have to be onto that, so I got right into that. And did you go for an audition before the day, or was it a case of turning straight up? Because we talked to Paul Gannon, who mm. was on season one, mm. and found out what his journey to the studio was like in season one. But I'm wondering. Well, he was a bit trigger it... happy, wasn't he, though? So. Oh. <laughs> He'll never live it down. Have <laughs> a little trigger happy. Trigger happy. Yeah, you did it best. Uh, no, it was a proper audition. I went down to the Isle of Dogs. Uh, and uh, there's a big glass building there. I've actually got photos of it because I went there a couple of years ago when I started filming for X-League because it's just down the road to see what it's looked like now. Uh, they've demolished it since, unfortunately, and uh, I went up there, and the first thing I remember was that they had boxes and boxes of uh, Nintendo Club magazines, so I don't know if they were there to distribute them or they were just best friends with Nintendo, like to send them lots of copies of the same issue or something. It was in an office upstairs that I did the audition. I can't remember anybody else being there, though. I think it might have been just me, but I went there with my dad as well. What was your audition piece? Was it Joe and Mac or was it something else? Well, basically, it was a combination of things. They asked you uh, to do a challenge. They asked you uh, if you were stuck in any games. And I was stuck on the boss on Wonder Boy in Monster World. You know, And uh, unfortunately... I managed to beat the boss there, so it was a bit embarrassing. So I got stuck and never managed to beat him. I was like, oh, didn't have the right weapon in the end. That's all I happened to be stuck on. So, yeah, so that was my cheat. But the Giant Max challenge, it was uh, to get to the end of the first level in a, like, a certain amount of time. It was like two minutes, but it's literally impossible to get there in time. Just running straight, not killing anyone, it's impossible to get there in the time. So I failed it just by not being given enough time. In the end, the challenge becomes... It's 90 seconds, isn't it, that you've got to get... Yeah, I'd imagine it'd be 90 seconds for me or something, because it was a ridiculous time. Like I said, I couldn't even get two-thirds of the way, and I just ran. I just completely ignored all the enemies. That's it, yeah. So the challenge that they had at the end was you've got to get through the first level in less than 90 seconds and beat the boss. Yeah, and that, yeah like I say, you couldn't even get to the boss in 90, uh, in the time they allocated to me. So so you must have like, so you must have been given less than a minute. I must have been. Like, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I definitely found it. It's quite sad about that i only thought it was all it was my fault but then i look back and it then it was it was literally impossible to get there in time because at this point we've just recorded about that challenge and the guy that ended up doing it mm. and um i actually grabbed joe mac because it's great to do these little fact checks mm. and i just did exactly what he did on the challenge i just ran mm. straight through didn't bother hitting the enemies and even then, I'm not sure if the time that we saw him do it in was actually the time. I'm still now a little bit suspicious that even with 1 minute 90, there was a, a little bit of uh, of trickery. Yeah, well, it's it, they've been done, known to do it in the past. I mean, I even got evidence when I was on Games World that they faked it. They redid a couple of challenges for people who failed. I think Big Boy Barry had said in an interview that he was uh, his challenge, he died in the first five seconds, so they let him redo it. And he managed to do it the second time, so that's quite an infamous. Yeah, that, that was back in uh, yeah in series one in the second episode. He, he balls up the the Sonic challenge, uh, but like in the actual episode that airs out, he, he does uh, he does complete it. But even like Gannon said the same thing to us that he did a take where he did well, he completed it in practice, um, but they sort of like recorded it 
but then when it came to the actual broadcast version and like they filmed him doing a, a part where he won the challenge and then filmed a part where he didn't win the challenge a part where he held the joystick a part where he didn't hold the joystick so yeah so then they they kind of like did a lot of fudging around and sort of like created a narrative at, at the end yeah yeah that's when i was on games world they filmed all the segments that i lost as well that when i was get i get thrown into the pit and that they filmed it before we done all the challenges just in case somebody storms off in a huff or something so yeah, so there's footage of me losing out there. This is somewhere in the Hewlett yes, archives. Out there, yeah. <laughs> Probably in the Hewlett dustbin. So it's <laughs> they they must be fascinating archives because they've got all the raw tapes of Patrick Moore in there. And given what sort yeah. of person Patrick Moore was, he must have said some stuff that they were just like, "That's going on the Christmas tape. That's not going on oh. air." <laughs> what did you find out? Because obviously, you, you said you did the audition, but you couldn't actually do the challenge because it was really difficult to do. It was impossible to do. It was impossible to do. Did they tell you on the day that you weren't going to be on the show? No, no. I got a letter about three, four weeks later saying, "I thought, thank you very much for your uh, participation." Now, unfortunately, you cannot meet it. But, but I do know that they are not sort of ridiculous about people for the second series. Yeah. Yeah, I would have thought so. Um, so when did you become aware that you had effectively been replaced and they'd changed the challenge? Well, I didn't I didn't know about the challenge until it, went, it aired on TV because I just thought it was all just a test thing, you know, just some random game. Can you get to the end in a certain amount of time or something? So I never thought there was going to be an actual challenge per se. But yes, it wasn't until I saw it on television. So that really cheered me up, that did. I was going to so, say, like, there must have been a moment where you're like, you bastards. Yeah, for salt in the wound, you wankers <laughs> yeah the other thing was uh, they were interested in me saying uh, in the audition because you have to write sort of a, a piece about yourself about oh, I like, I'm really good at games and stuff like that and I did actually put that I'm a game guru as well that was the like, first time I ever said that But and they used, they lifted that several times in the show I remember that hmm. I said I come up with that you bastards so, <laughs> so yeah so they're quite fascinated me using that line so so you got the letter yes um, basically going Sorry, you have not advanced to the next level, or some mm. adequate gaming some analogy. Yes, yeah. yeah, some adequate gaming analogy. Was that the point when they said, "But you can come down and be in the audience"? Yeah. Would you like to apply to be in the audience? So I said, "All right then." You know, maybe they'll pick me into one of them random guest things they always do, which I didn't know were fakes at the time. <laughs> yeah. So that broke my heart even further there. So just one huge pile of disappointment you landed, sir. What, other than being a very long day, what was the actual kind of atmosphere like? Was there a lot of like very hyped up kids in the audience or did the disappointment set in fairly quickly when they realised how long a shoot was going to take? Yeah, I mean, everybody's all excited to get into position and stuff like that and sort of start screaming, everybody get ready and stuff like that. But I think the uh, enthusiasm started to wane after the first like 30 minutes of just standing there, them trying to set things up and that. And even just randomly picking, the randomly picking people in the audience bit I was in, uh, they had to retake that like three, four times because a person they picked couldn't be seen properly in the audience or something. So, oh, can you come to the front, please? And stuff like that. So they've done like three or four takes of that. And... It just gets really boring. You just want to sit there and watch somebody play games or something. Uh, that's what you want to do. So so that was quite mind-lumbingly boring. I mean, I've never been in a TV audience since, to be honest, because it is so bloody boring. Even the stuff I've been in, I don't <laughs> try and get out of there as quickly as often because it's so boring. You, you can also tell, and I think we've started to notice this more in Series 2, is you can tell kind of where in the day a challenge has been shot because there are some phenomenal challenges we're seeing and the audience are just dead. Yeah, I just want to go on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never stop you from going, but 
I just we just got so bloody bored in the first in the morning we got we went so it was so tiresome. When you saw the challenge that would have been you mm. going to this guy that I think I described him as looking like Slash from the late nineteen eighties because he had the hair and the leathers and to be honest, I love his style. Mm. Mm. I yep. couldn't carry right. it off then, and I definitely can't carry it off now. Mm. But you know, fair credit to him. Did the realization that that could have been you? Did it sour your relationship with Games Master at all? Well, I didn't have a girlfriend to rescue, to be honest. But, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> a twelve-year-old fat kid. It seemed a bit weird having a girlfriend at that time. But no, it's no. It's, I mean, it was annoying because, you know, hey, that's my challenge, and some they fixed it to make it look like he can do it as well. This made it far easier because I thought I cut like the time they gave me, I couldn't do it. So, so I was a little bit miffed about that, but it did put me off. I mean, I I auditioned to be in the third series, the Games Master Team Challenge thing. And I actually got through for that, but I couldn't do it because I was uh, going on holiday that day. Oh. So that was heartbreaking. Oh, you could have been a part of that dungeon crew. You could have been part of that legendary era of Dexter Fletcher. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh. I did actually buy a game to ask a golden joystick off eBay. Uh, that was in the third series in the end. It's sad. <laughs> <laughs> But I always wanted one, you know, if I can't have fuck on own one, I'll buy one of the bloody things. <laughs> I'm shallow like that. So. so, I mean, Games Master changed as it went on. You were involved in yeah. Games World. You kind of had some degree of experience with both of the main gaming challenge shows that were there in the 90s. Yeah. And you were on Head to Head, so actually yeah, all three. I just applied for anything. I was <laughs> basically like one of those eggheads, you know, you just appear on every single game show you could get auditions on. I was never on a Bad Influence, though, but then you'd have to travel up to Manchester to be in that, I think. Uh, that was a bit too far for me. It's only in sort of London locations, all the Games World and Games Master stuff was filmed. Just going outside the M25 circle, just... Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. There's nobody... That's that's standard London behaviour, you know, and I say that as someone that now lives in London, and I'm just like, outside, oh, no. I was going to say, outside of that is what my wife would deem the North. (laughs) (laughs) So, obviously, as we've touched on multiple times, you were on Games World, you were in the final season of Games World, Mm -hmm. and we are going to be reaching Games World in a couple of months' time. Is that correct, Luke? Uh, yes, I was just looking at the schedule then. I think the episode will be going out in uh, September, I think, actually. Towards the end of September, we'll reach it in the timeline. So, Ooh. Larry, not to put Hello. you on the spot, but would you be willing to come back and talk to us a bit more about Games World? Because, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, your pay's good enough, so yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 Luke. Someone's getting paid for this? We need to talk. I don't know about pay, but we probably could hook you up with one of our lovely new new oh, that's mugs. Nice. Yeah, this is our new merch mugs that um oh, oh, I've wow. got, you're I've really got, you're really coming big time, aren't you? So. I've got two of them at the moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, it would be great to speak to you a bit more about Games World when we get to that point. Uh so Excellent. if you could come back, that'd be awesome. Okay. But, Thank you. Thank you very much for having me again. But until then, just in case our listeners don't know where to find you, where can they find you on the Twitter, the YouTubes, the whatevers? Uh, on YouTube, I am youtube.com slash Larry. I've got one of them vanity addresses. Basically, a couple of years ago, some guy called Larry got it first and he got banned, so I nicked it off him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Twitter, I am Larry Bundy Jr., Larry Bundy Jr. Uh, and on Facebook, I'm just Larry Bundy. I don't think I'm else anywhere. No, I don't think I'm on anywhere else. I haven't got Instagram or TikTok or something, because I'm 
not young. I'm not hip with the young ones. And we've just launched a Discord server, and I tell you what, I grew up with IRC, so I'm kind of halfway there. But then yeah. I'm going. We do emojis now. We can do custom emojis. Do you know we could do custom emojis? <laughs> and it's, I, I am, be, I'm feeling very old. Aww. Thank you so much for joining us, and please do Thank people you. check out Larry's YouTube videos, Fact Hunt. I said it without saying a rude word. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. I love doing that. I've also got a Fact Hunt book out now as well. Oh, yes, you do. Yes. So just type in Fact Hunt on Amazon. And very carefully type name. it. Yeah, type it in. Yeah, you don't want to go Hunt. down that alley. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But awesome. Larry, thanks so much. And we will speak to you Thank again you. very soon. This week, we step into the chest-beating moccasins of heroes everywhere and delve into arcade adventures. First stop, get back to your own dimension in time for El Dorado in another world. A great game. The whole setup, the atmosphere with the music, the graphics are superb. You really get a feel for this game. You can't go wrong with it. Once you know what you're doing, you start off at point A, you work your way through to point B, and there's not a lot you can cock up in between. Graphically, it's brilliant. Sonically, it's brilliant. But it's far too easy. The day's play just ain't enough at this price. Well, it's Arcade Adventure Week in the Review Zone. We've got Amanda Dyson from Mega, John Davison from Mega Drive Advanced Gaming, and Andy Hutchinson from ST Format looking at our first game, Another World, for the Super Nintendo. This is a game that had been around for about a year and change at this point. Originally came out on the Amiga and the Atari ST. Was uh, developed by a guy called uh, Eric Chahi and uh, took about two years with only the help of someone else to compose the soundtrack. This was very much a one-man shop as a game. And it is a game that got ported to the Super Nintendo. It got ported to the Mega Drive. It got ported to the Sega CD. Mm. It, it got around. Yeah. And... It's a great game, and it's a game you can still play today. You can buy it for your Nintendo Switch and your PS4, because this was arguably the second big game that really worked on making cinematic animation. It, it followed on from The Prince of Persia, which we'll also hear from in this section. It's got animation qualities to it that a lot of indie games still strive for with their 2D platformers, and a lot of them still can't reach it. There's a certain magic to this game, which means I'm not the biggest fan of this review. I think this review is reflective of the fact that Flashback is also in this review section, which, you know, is essentially, it's the it's another world but again. So I think that this is completely reflective of that, bearing in mind that we had another world featured in the consultation zone in series one to sort of show, you know, to put a sort of an age on that. So that was series one back in early 1992 and now here we are at the tail end of 1992 and it's getting ported to another system when a better version of the game is also available i don't think it's completely fair to it either because while amanda says that she loves the atmosphere john says that you know where you are and it's impossible to cock up and andy hutchinson thinks it's too easy for the price they're asking and i think what he re he's referring to then is the price they're asking is for a game that's already a year old when a new version of it is available and you should just go and buy the new version of it. I would also argue against it being necessarily too easy. Maybe I just wasn't very good at it at the time, but from the first point where you can control your character, you can insta-die. Yes, you that was the consultation zone. Yeah, you materialise in the lake, you can insta-die if you don't swim for the surface. There's <laughs> leeches crawling along the ground as soon as you get out of the lake. One scrape from those, 
and you insta-die. You stand in front of the lake for too long, a tentacle comes up and drags you beneath the water, you insta-die. You get chased by a black beast, again, within about a minute or so of starting to control the game. And if you don't run in the right direction and don't time your jump correctly, you insta-die. It does get somewhat easier, but I would not call this an easy game. It is a one and done game because there is not a lot of replay value because once you know the tricks, as they say, you know what you're doing. That And that's what I think it is. I think they're reviewing this with an eye on the fact they've already played it once. So they know what the, the tricks are to get past these things. That's that's at least my inference on this as well, because I can tell you this for free. Another World is not deserving of a 76% score. I think that's really unfair. If you're going to mark it down for being a year old or you're going to mark it down for lack of replayability, at least bump it into the 80s. Yeah, I mean, they do for Prince of Persia. Next up, wear outrageously baggy pants and wield a long weapon in Prince of Persia. A game for anyone who's got delusions of being Sinbad. It's a great clingy, jumpy, fighty game. Once you've solved problems, got your password and gone on through to the next level, the game does become very short in its life. It's probably better aimed at, at younger players. Um, older players will probably find it far too easy because the puzzles are just nowhere near complicated enough. I think they do that for different reasons because up next is Prince of Persia for the Master System. Now, we talked about this before briefly because I had an advert for it in a magazine which was bigging up that they'd done Prince of Persia on the Master System, and it was full of quotes saying how amazing the game was, and at no point did they actually show a goddamn screenshot of the game. <laughs> but seeing it here, I am impressed. Do you know what? When it came up at the end, because they don't say in the, the clip that you just heard then, they don't say on the Master System it's Prince of Persia. They just say, you know, it's like for any of those who have delusions of being Sinbad and, and things like that. And then at the end, when it gives you all the details and it said it was on the Master System, I was genuinely surprised. I, I'd written down anything other than the Master System. I think they've actually done an excellent conversion there. The music suffers a bit, but I'll tell you what, this looks better than the first way that I played Prince of Persia. I played it on a PC. It didn't even have 256 colours and it didn't look this good. And I mentioned earlier about the rotoscoping. And it was uh, Basil Rathbone and Errol Flynn. I actually made a note of it for this particular <laughs> section. The final sword fight in the game is rotoscoped off of them fighting in the adventures of Robin Hood. This game, I think, actually may even deserve higher than 80% mm. because the atmosphere and the look that they've got out of this on the Master System, man, that Master System is getting some last moments of glory, arguably... Isn't it just? Arguably moments of glory that it didn't have for the majority of its life. No, and certainly not Series 1. I feel like we know, we've brought this up a couple of times now, but Series 1, the Master System was dead on its ass. Every game that got reviewed for the Master System was getting bad scores. And yet here in Series 2, it's had New Zealand Story, it's had Speedball 2, it's now had Prince of Persia. It's knocking it out the park, the Master System. Good, no wonder it did so well in Brazil. However, while it does definitely score better than Another World, they also criticise it, and I think it's along the same lines as why they criticised Another World. They said it's quite a short game. It kind of is. It's a time limit game for a start. You know, you, mm -hmm. you have 60 minutes to rescue the princess. And, as I'm sure they have if you've played it on other platforms, there isn't going to be a huge amount in there to surprise you. No. If you know how to finish this game, you can just breeze through it. And bearing in mind that this is 1992, they've probably played Prince of Persia on various different consoles at this point, 
and just know how to blast through it. And they would have had a fair amount of time to play it because the original release was in 1989. So it's a game that is also past its best and is on a console that is past its best. But a score of 80% is a very, very respectable score for this game at this time in its life and an exceptional score for the Master System at this point in its life. It's 15% higher than Sonic 2. Dear reviewers, and also that's in the future. You've got to wait a couple of months before you can be justifiably irate about that. Finally, the much-heralded sequel to Another World hits you where it hurts in a rather technicolor manner in Flashback. In the same mould as Another World, but definitely um, a lot more interest here. Zapping, jumping, shooting, leaping, flying, and generally rebounding off lots of hard surfaces in the hope of getting back to dear old Milton Keynes. It's got some of the, the best animation and graphics I've seen for a long time on the Amiga. One of the, the best games to come out, out lately. I really loved it. And our last game really does tie into the games that we were just talking about then, which is, you know, Another World is a year old by this point. Prince of Persia is three years old by this point, but we've now got a new version of this game, and that is Flashback, where Amanda says there's so much more interest. Andy says it's a shooty, jumpy kind of game that will make you want to get all the way back to Milton Keynes. And John has the incredible review where he said it's got some of the best graphics and sounds he's seen on the Amiga in years. One of the best games he's played recently, 94%. 94% for the sequel to Another World. And this pissed me off because it's not the sequel. to another world it is published by the same company but it's different developers different story different characters it is in no way a sequel to another world but dominic says it the reviewers say it everyone says it and they're wrong it's a spiritual sequel it's a stylistic sequel stylistic but there was actually a sequel to another world hmm but unless you had a Mega CD, you wouldn't know that because it was only released originally for the Mega CD. It's been ported to other systems now, but it was called Heart of the Alien. Cool title. And you've got your sidekick in another world. And it's a continuation of the story where you play as him. Oh, cool. It was quite well received. It got positive reviews, but there is, as always, a slight fly in the ointment. Not only was the original developer not involved, he actually released a statement disowning it from the Another World franchise because the developer said we want to do a sequel we want to do a sequel and he just said off the top of his head well it would be interesting to tell the story from the aliens point of view and you know what he's right it would have been however they just read that as let's make a sequel that continues the story but you play as the alien yeah so that's what they did I've only played flashback once and I actually do want to revisit it. It might be the next game that I try and revisit on this podcast journey that we're taking. And the only time that I really played it was at my cousin's house. He and my brother went off to play football. I had very little interest in that, but I did have very much an interest in his Mega Drive that he had, which had a copy of Flashback. And as a kid who had spent the last few years playing Castle Illusion, Tasmania, Sonic all the global gladiators all these sort of platformy games playing something like flashback is not the same thing it may look like it's a platformer but it does not play as one it confused the hell out of me and i never really gave it the fair shake of the stick that it quite rightly deserves it definitely relies on some of the same sort of reactions that platform games do but it's it's a more grown-up game yes it's mature without being you know 
boobs and blood. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go the Mortal Kombat route. It just comes up with a game that is mature in its tone and its execution. Yeah. And a style that I think is kind of timeless, much like Another World. It's aged remarkably well. Yeah, it wasn't for eight-year-old me, but it is for 34-year-old me. And once you're through that, if you can track down a copy for the PlayStation, check out Fade to Black. That was a proper sequel mm. to Flashback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, same character. And I remember playing that on the PlayStation and loving the chuff out of it. That was a <laughs> good game. That was a great sequel. That was a rare occasion where I think the sequel, while not continuing in the same style, was as satisfying, if not more, than the original. Now for this week's feature. It's all very well gathering round Grandpa's organ for a sing-song this Christmas, but if, like Uncle Ted, you want to bash out some Bach for yourself, video games can help you along with the aid of the Miracle Piano Tutor. Over to modern-day Liberace, Richard Bond, born to tinkle some ivories. Best thing about the Miracle is you don't actually need a piano because it actually comes with a keyboard, okay? The beauty of the miracle is it actually teaches you with video games, okay? So when it gets really boring, the mundane part of learning music, the notes, the harmony, etc., it'll actually teach you with the games. Okay, for instance, the shooting gallery here actually teaches you how to hit the correct notes at the right time. Okay, as the ducks come along on the screen, I've got to hit the correct note to shoot the duck. If I make a mistake, it shows you where on the screen I'm hitting the incorrect note until I actually find it. There's also another game called Ripcord. A ripcord actually teaches you how to find the right chords at the right time. So I've got to play the notes at the top there at the right time. Hit them correctly, the shoots come out, I hit the bell. If I make a mistake, the shoots don't come out and they hit the ground. Okay, so another fun way of learning how to play chords. Okay, it's not all fun in games though. The Miracle's actually got a serious side to it, which is the recording studio, where you can actually record your own songs, okay, and sequence them together using 128 different instruments. You can also pull in any MIDI file for instance, here's Chariots of Fire. And then what we can do, we can add effects to it. Or, or distort it even if you wanted to. What all this tinkering about means is, with only a few hours game playing a week, you can belt out rock music like this after only a year. Take it away, Ricky. Well, why would you want to gather round Grandad's organ for a sing-along this Christmas when you can get the Miracle Piano teaching system? Is that what it was? That is what it was. It's uh, it's a quick name that just trips off the tongue. Yeah. <laughs> As we've got Richard Von Phone from Mindscape um, saying that it's great because it comes with the keyboard and you learn how to play it by playing games. There's a shooting gallery. There's a game called Ripcord where you got to hit the right chords at the right time and that will make the shoots come out. If you don't, the little lads land on the floor and say, ow. But it's not all fun and games. There's also a recording studio where you can make versions of Chariots of Fire. My exact comment on that version of Chariots of Fire was you can make it sound like it's being played by hitting ducks with hammers. (laughs) Now, this is a great idea, and they went cross-platform. This was available for uh, PC, Amiga, Mac, NES. Mm -hmm. Mega Drive. Mega Drive, Super Nintendo. So you'd think this would be great, and then you see the price tag. Oh, it's pricey, man. It's pricey. And you know what? He says, hey, you don't need a piano. It comes with a keyboard. For 300 quid, it better come with a keyboard. It better come with a set of white gloves and the tails and the little stool. That's a lot of money. It is, yeah. I mean, so it's 300 quid for PC and IBM. It's 350 quid for the Mac. It's not cheap. That's the Apple tax, and I say that as an Apple user. (laughs) I know. And Dominic Diamond says at the end of this piece... What all this means is that with only a few hours game playing a week, you could belt out rock music like this in only a year. Take it away, Ricky. 
and Ricky murders Mood Dance by Van Morrison. Yeah. Rock and f***ing roll. Having said that, I do like Moon Dance. I just don't like this version of Moon Dance. If you fancy making sweet music with Richard, you can win a Miracle Piano Tutor at Games Master Live on the 4th, 5th and 6th of December at the Birmingham NEC. To book, call the box office on 021780-4133. Well, you could spend all that money to get it, or you could head on over to Games Master Live where you could get the chance to win one, which means we are tantalizingly close to Games Master Live. It's only a couple of weeks away in our timeline, and we are doing our bonus episode on it. Please do get your stories in feedback at underconsultation.com or Twitter at under console pod we've already had a few bits and bobs from fans and listeners we're really looking forward to piecing it all together i was really excited to do this bonus episode but at this point i'll just be glad when we're done and dusted with it because then they will <laughs> stop shilling us games master live because it is every episode once or twice an episode and it's a hard sell i said it last week it's a hard hard sell very pressuring I don't appreciate it now, and I didn't appreciate it then, although I did go. <laughs> and finally, how could we possibly let the week go by without mentioning Sonic 2, released earlier this week? Not only were we the first people to show you the game two months ago, we've actually tracked the person down we think completed it in the fastest time. Here's Paul Reed from Leicester. Bought the game at 5 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, took your time, put it in, completed it on my first attempt in two hours, four minutes, collecting all seven Chaos Emeralds. Then wrapped it up for my mate's Christmas present, and then got ready and went down the pub. Here are a sample of those others who phoned us up to say they've completed the game on the day they bought it. It just goes to show to be this good takes uh, two hours, four minutes, actually. Well, speaking of going, you've got to go fast. Sonic 2 is released in stores and they had to do a little bonus feature on it here uh, because they were the first people to show us the game two months ago. However, Paul Reed from Leicester completed it in two hours and four minutes with all the Chaos Emeralds. And he gets in touch to say that he bought it at 5 p.m. in the afternoon. He completed it in those two hours. He's now wrapped it up to give to a mate for Christmas, got himself ready, went down the pub. And then they give us a list of other people that also completed it with times ranging from three hours to 12, along with the game's end credits. So when I was watching this through the last time before we recorded, when the list of names had come up, I hadn't normally been paying much attention to them. I was listening to the guy on the phone and then I was making notes. But this last time, I watched the list go by and one of the names stood out because I thought, hey, that guy's name is the same as someone that I know. And he's a gamer. So I dropped him a message and I said, hey, is this you? And he said, yeah. So I gave him a call. Thanks for talking to me, Mensky. No problem. So, Sonic Tuesday. Yes. You got the game on the day of release. You got it at nine o'clock. Nine o'clock in the morning, Dixon's. I was I was waiting outside the door. Went down early to pick it up. I needed to be there. I needed to be there, right there, right then. Get it. First person to get it in Dixon's. Rush it home to play it. You know, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I wanted it. I rushed home with it, and by 12 noon, it was finished. Did you feel disappointed at that point? No, not really. I mean, 
<laughs> it was a Mega Drive game. Most Mega Drive games could be finished in a couple of hours. Sonic 1 was no real, no real difference, you know? So you completed it within a couple of hours. It was midday. At what point did you reach out to Games Master researchers or how did you find out that they wanted to talk to people? Yeah, now this is the interesting thing. It was on Teletext. And we're talking pre-digitizer here. So it was the Buzz page on Oracle on Channel 4, I believe. Uh, They had one row of pages that appear about computer games every day. And uh, the last page that day said, we are uh, looking for people who've already finished Sonic 2. So they posted it on the Wednesday, which was the day before Games Master went live. So, you know, they they clearly had a deadline. And uh, I phoned them up and said, yeah, I've I finished it already. And uh, the researcher said, okay, we need a little bit of evidence about this. And I, okay, you know, sure. So what happens at the end? And I told him, I said, you know, what happens at the end? Um, There's like a little comic strip sequence where Tails takes off in his plane. He kind of uh, follows you in his uh, biplane as you're floating down. And uh, the music plays uh, after you've defeated uh, the Death Egg robot. So they said, okay, okay, uh, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. 10 minutes must have happened and get a phone call back hello all right um we've just been in contact with sega about this uh they they don't believe you and i'm thinking well how, how can i prove this I have no idea how to prove this and um they said well what we want to do is get a photo of you to put up in the uh, in the piece so we're going to drive a researcher all the way over from london a hundred mile journey as you well know over to where I live, we'll get the photo. And I said, okay, that will probably take you about two hours. I can finish the game within two hours. So I will start playing the game as you take your journey across the country to pick up the photo. So that's what happened. And the researcher would call in periodically from a phone box because, you know, for all the kids listening back in those days, mobile phones were as big as a house and costed about the same phone boxes 10p and you could talk for hours <laughs> yeah so he, he would um phone up periodically say exactly how far he had got towards his destination while i was basically trying to give him directions because also gps wasn't a thing back then it's interesting really because you consider all the things that happened during that night nowadays technology would have solved it all in seconds but a, <laughs> an actual paper photo, directions via phone. Yeah, incredible. Anyway, so, you know, he, he's calling up and saying, how far are you now? How far are you now? And I, I was telling him how far he was. And he, he got to about Oxford. He phoned up and said, uh, oh, I've been in contact with the production again. Um, yeah, we're not coming, coming up to you anymore. Uh, somebody else is closer by. And so I ended up being just on the top of the list in the in the in the roll call because they said although uh, this other guy we can we can get in contact with him easier and everything you have finished it faster than anyone else so i was on the top of the leaderboard and so uh, yeah i am the fastest person to finish sonic 2 within the week of release and that's about it <laughs> now your claim and your time and your listing, I entirely believe. I'm biased because I know you. 
And while I don't always agree with you on certain opinions on video games, I know you're truthful. The guy that they spoke to on the phone had this whole thing of he bought it at five o'clock, he'd finished it by seven, and then he wrapped it up and it was his mate's Christmas present. And there was something about that last bit that just made me think, that's bollocks. Yeah, it sounded a bit weird, didn't it? Yeah, I'm I'm wondering if uh, they just called him back and then just got one of the researchers to do the interview instead. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe they were just thinking we're never going to get it back and through, you know, post-production or whatever it is, because if they got a photo of you, they wouldn't even scan it. It would just be a case of frame it in front of a camera Yeah. for a picture-in-picture shot. Yeah, it was uh, all... Wow, it was just a... It was a mad night. I think I phoned up about... Ooh, must have been about five o'clock in the afternoon or something. Sometime around then. Must have been sometime in the in the uh, in the late afternoon and this two-way phone call thing while i'm playing the video game happened throughout the evening by the by the end he must have phoned me about oh, i don't know about seven eight at night to say that he wasn't coming um so you know a few hours and i i'm guessing by that you know by that point in time deadlines looming and everything they really really needed to get something done a hell of a lot quicker and obviously if if he'd have come all the way to where i live and all the way back that would have been at least a four-hour round trip he wouldn't have been getting back to london if we just take london as a general location probably until close to midnight no yeah exactly so we're also talking um on this episode about sonic tuesday in general where does sonic 2 sit for you in the history of sonic games like if you're rating or ranking them in the history of sonic games roughly in the middle uh, <laughs> to me the only sonic games that are even worth playing are sonic 1 sonic 2 sonic cd sonic 3 and knuckles which i count as one game oh and sonic mania but are we really counting that because that's kind of modern? So, you know, the, the Mega Drive games and the Mega CD game and possibly Chaotix are the only ones I even pay attention to anyway because the rest of them play completely differently and I don't really enjoy them at all. So Sonic 2 comes somewhere in the middle. <laughs> and despite being pipped at the post, did you continue to watch Games Master? Was it still part of a weekly viewing? Of course. Of course. Who didn't watch Games Master back in those days? Who didn't watch it? So you're still an active gamer today. You are a YouTuber. You appear on your own channel. You also appear on other people's channels at various times. I do. Every so often. Where can people find you online? People can find me online on youtube.com slash Mentsky. That is M-E-N-T-S-K-I. And the series that comes to mind when I think of you, is One Credit Champ. Indeed, One Credit Champ, the series where I play a game, an arcade game, for one credit to see how far I get, whilst talking, waxing lyrical, about the history of said game and its home ports, especially if uh, Teartex made them, because mm-hmm. we, we, we do enjoy writing on tear text. Thanks so much for giving us your time today and also helping us continue to build this picture of what was going into the production of Games Master. Because whilst we know that obviously they filmed some months in advance for the challenges, it's interesting to see how close to broadcast they were getting with some of the reviews and features. And I think this is the tightest deadline we've as yet been made aware of. And it's great to have that extra little piece of the puzzle. 
the play. That's a fair few Vickies. I know a bloke who hated this. Cause he finished it too fast. As you might have seen him claim. But on games master, but I loved it up. And the comics were good. such an interesting insight into the making I mean, i'm actually just chuffed to hear that those were real like those are real people and those were real times at least you know the, the one that we can verify that was real the phone call still not sure Ron. there's a few bits mm. of that that just make me feel hmm really yeah totally uh-huh Zanna Curiosity, I went over to speedrun to see what the quickest time is now to complete Sonic 2 with all the Chaos Emeralds. Interestingly, at least I, you know, I'm going to say interestingly with a sprinkle of if you find this sort of thing interesting, it doesn't appear to be that big in the speedrun community in that you can completing the game 100%ing it effectively and getting all the Chaos Emeralds. Speedrunning it is very much, a, you know, that's quite big. You can do that in about 20 minutes in the past time. This thing is 19 minutes. But there's actually only one entry in the quickest time with all seven Chaos Emeralds. And it was set one month ago by Barsi95, who's from France. And I watched the playthrough that he did. And in his comments that he said there, the time he set was 55 minutes and 43 seconds. And he actually thinks that he can get that down to 52. And it was fascinating to watch. He gets all seven Chaos Emeralds before finishing the Emerald Hill Zone. He does it all in the first two acts of the game and then just bosses his way through the rest of it because now he can just transform into supersonic anytime he gets 50 coins. Well, that's enough Sonic to chat because it's now time for our celebrity challenge. Let's head on over to Games Master and find out what we're playing. Nice to see you again. For tonight's second challenge, I thought we might retire to the billiard room for some Green Bay's action on Archer McLean's pool. Each contestant will have one minute, 30 seconds, to amass the highest possible score. Please don't forget to chalk your Q-tips. Rack them up. Well, chalk up those Q-tips. It's Archer McLean's pool, which is kind of like a follow-on challenge from our Series 1 episode we had with Jimmy White. It is kind of a, a follow-on challenge. The game itself is a sequel to Jimmy White's Whirlwind Snooker, and by sequel I mean a reskin, Yeah, because he probably didn't have to change much. Maybe a slight difference in table size and, you know adjust a few parameters, but the physics engine would exist. It would already be there. It's interesting to see him back in a different guise this time, because as we'll discover, he's joining us on commentary, whereas our competitors, one is a plucky youngster, and the other is a legitimate snooker legend, which is slightly yeah. confusing because this is pool, but roll with it. <laughs> because Dominic brings down Adam Whisker and John Parrott. All right, John. Right, now, Adam... You are one of the best players of this in the country. You've got one and a half minutes. What kind of a break can we see from you? Well, in practice, it's been in the mid-twenties, but under such tense conditions, I don't know if I can do as well. OK, well, conditions are certainly tense. You're playing against one of the masters of the Green Bays. John, how, do, how does this compare to the real thing? It's very, very good, actually. It looks very, very lifelike. Mm. Um, the cue action is probably a little bit better than mine, <laughs> but uh, I'm hoping I'll do quite well, but I think I'm up against it today. Bloody love John Parrott. One absolute hero that man is. Liverpool's own. Not only was he still massive at this point, because he'd make the top 16 of the Snooker World Championships right up until 95, like every year. But the year before, he'd done the double. He'd won the World Championship and the UK Snooker Championship. There's like a dozen people that have done that in the same year over the entire history. 
of the titles. Nothing to be sniffed at. Absolutely not. And he's a lovely chap as well. He just comes across really nicely here. He comes across as very affable and game. Yeah, and we're actually not too far off him joining uh, Question of Sport with Ali McCoist, which I would argue is the uh, the best iteration of a Question of Sport was the McCoist Parrot era. It's the one I have the most memories of, not because I watched Question of Sport, but because it was always on either just after or just before other things that I wanted to watch. Uh, my favourite part of this, though, is when John Parrot comes down, they cut to this kid in the audience who is ex to see John Parrot. He's literally got his head reared back. He's got his arms in the air with like a big that John Parrot is here. It's quite lovely. Snooker was big back then. Snooker and darts were prime time viewing. I grew up watching it with my granddad. And so I was probably dead chuffed and dead impressed at this as well. I still am. Yeah. I wasn't quite howl at the moon level like this kid, but I was probably, oh yes, polite applause. Well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dominic says that Adam Whisker is one of the best players on this game in the country, and he's been getting high 20s in his practice, but is worried that the pressure might get to him. John proper puts over the game as well and says that it's really, really great. He even thinks it's better than he is. He's giving himself a nice little get out there just in case he biffs it. The Games Master Pool Challenge is based on Archer McLean's pool. You may remember him as a challenger in the first series. He's helping me commentate tonight. Welcome, Archer. Now, any tips you can give our players tonight? Well, just be very quick around the table, really. They've only got 90 seconds, so it's not a lot. So as you said earlier, we've got Archer McLean on commentary, who was in our first series of Games Master as... um, I mean, I'm not going to say he was the special guest because that was Jimmy White for the episode for as much as Jimmy did. So what, press this button? There is more interactivity turning on the Blackpool Illuminations than there was in that <laughs> challenge. <laughs> and uh, I'll be honest, he doesn't really have a lot to say in this commentary <laughs> bit here. It's just pot things quickly. Yeah, his scintillating advice is move around the table as quickly as possible. And it's like, well, thank God this guy's here to give us the inside scoop on the game that he made. <laughs> yeah, and... Fucking hell, does this look exactly like Jimmy White Snooker from the last series? It's the it's the exact same game. It's still pretty fun to watch. And the reason I think it's pretty fun to watch is Adam goes first and he sinks the green for a six. He goes up to 11. Uh, he, he aims for the green again. He goes up to 17. And with eight seconds left, he sinks the pink uh, and gets mm-hmm. 29 pretty good score that is a high 20s it is indeed yet which is what he thought he might get and i did notice as well it looks like he's playing on one of those like lectern things again that we spoke about in the zany golf challenge from series one he's coping a lot better with it than um than those guys did there yeah but uh, it's also worth noting that actually just as the clock ran out he was about to deal with his blue balls and the clock just ran out so he was left hanging at the end of Adam's minute and a half, he has scored 29 points. If you'd like to see if John Parrott can master that incredible score, join us after the break. This is Bob Lamb's house. What Bob doesn't know is we fill his brand new pool with slime. Just watch his face when he arrives. What Terry doesn't know is that Bob drinks Carly Black Label. Thank you so much, Terry. Obviously not as fast as Sonic Death. It's <laughs> 
he won't be making the comeback. I guess he just ain't Sonic too. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We hope you're enjoying this week's episode of Under Consultation. We've got a final family fury on Fatal Fury coming up, as well as the all-important Consultation Zone with some Castle of Illusion chat. And if you want more Under Consultation, head on over to patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod, where you can hear next week's show right now and ad-free i.e. you won't hear this annoying bit. The 90s ads do stay though, I want to make that very clear, you just get rid of this bit of waffle. And we are close to our first Patreon target, which means we will launch a second podcast exclusive for Patreon backers that looks at other 90s TV shows in the same UCP style. So support this show over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. Miserable. That's when you get married, everyone just buys you presents. People just ring you up out of the blue. What do you want? What do you want? You rang me. <laughs> Morose. Uh, he's just one of those people, when he's having a drink, he likes to slip into something a little more comfy, you know, like, like unconsciousness. <laughs> Disillusioned. I've got a neighbour who has fitted a car alarm, okay? Which is a great idea. I don't know about you, I like to know if someone's walking past my car. <laughs> Three of the qualities that make Jack D. Britain's funniest comic. Wednesday, 10.30 on 4. Welcome back to the hushed atmosphere of the Games Master Pool Hall, where young Adam Whisker scored 29 points on Archer McLean's Games Master Pool Challenge. John Parrott stepped up to the table. He's about to have his one and a half minutes to see if he can beat the score. So we come back after the commercials and we see how John Parrott does. Yeah, John is up. He's really good at this game as well. I don't know how much John Parrott's been playing this or, you know, if he's had a really good go at it in practice or if it just comes naturally to him because he is a snooker player and a dead good one. But he is really good at this game and even chalks up that cue for the wonderful sound. I'll be honest, our lad Adam had 29 points by the end of this. John Parrott is up to 17 and still has 60 seconds left to go. He gets to 23 with 40 seconds to go. He is absolutely bossing it. And he's about to win the game with 20 seconds to go. And 
biffs it. Biffs it on the eight ball finish. Even looking at the shot, as we're watching him play, before he even strikes the ball, my brain is going, that's not going in. That's not going in. That's going to ricochet off the cushion. That's not going to work. And my brain can't register that John Parrott would not see that. Can I give you my theory? Please do. Because after he misses that shot, he needs to be quick and they're just shouting him. He just needs to whack it and just sort of hope for the best. And I think that's what he's trying to do. You can see that his mouse is hovering over like the plate where you pull down the cue to shoot mm. it, but he cannot do it. He's grabbing and he's dragging, or he's clicking and he's dragging, but he's not actually grabbing hold of the cue. So while I think that Adam did quite well with the lectern mouse, or, you know, the way the lectern was set up, I don't think John Parrott did as well with it. He did admirably, but yeah, there was definitely some fumbling uh, towards the end there. So I just wonder if that fumbling is what led him to screw up that shot. It's a definite possibility. It's a definite possibility. But I tell you what, while yes, it's a retread of a challenge we've seen before, that was a bloody good challenge. Well done, Adam. Congratulations, John. Now... Now, Adam, that was a very, very tense finish in there. What was going through your mind at the end there? Well, I thought I built quite a stable score up, but um, I think there's an element of luck involved. Oh, he's very, very sporting to you, John. John, the black wouldn't go in. I know that. I know you've got a wee bit of a thing about final blacks. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, it was tough. One in the centre pocket. I'd been disappointed to have missed it with my own cue, but there you go. <laughs> uh, Adam thought that he had a good score, but thought that John might get lucky and said that John's got a thing for those final black finishes, but he was just unlucky on the day. Adam wins the joystick. Yeah, yeah as you said, it was a retread of what we've had in Series 1, but I did enjoy it, mate. It was a nail-biting climax indeed, as Dominic says. <laughs> Hello, Games Master. Welcome to the consultation zone. How can I help you? On Super Mario World, I can't find a green switch palace. Can you tell me where it is, please? Oh, yes. Um, I'm rather fond of this one. Travel through the underground world of Donut Plains 4, and beyond the green exit pipe, you'll find four blocks going up in a diagonal. If you're unable to fly, collect a Cooper shell, hurl it at the fourth block, and a vine will take you. Climb this to find the green switch palace. Okay, thanks for your help. I hope it gives you much pleasure. Well, here's a surprise. Our first kid is stuck on Super Mario World, where he can't find the green switch palace... And Gamesmaster is fond of this one. You've got to go through the underground section of Donut Plains 4, throw a blue shell at a block if you haven't got a cape, and that brings up a vine, and that will take you to the secret exit. Fly through that. Makes absolute sense. It's a nice, straightforward tip. It's well explained. That will probably solve a lot of heartache for a lot of Mario World players. Great yeah. tip. Great game. We've talked about it before. This will not be the last we see of it. Hello, Gamesmaster. What's your query? I've heard there's a secret rumour Mickey Mouse's Castle of Illusion on World 1-4. Where should I be looking for this? Ah, yes. Head toward the fifth tree of the level and you will come across a tempting hole in the ground. Dive boldly in and head left toward an apparent dead end. Simply walk through the wall and you will find yourself in a room full of bounty. 
Thanks, that's great. What we haven't seen before, though, is our second kid who wants a hidden world on Castle Illusion for the Mega Drive. Oh, yes, it's one of my favorite games. But what Games Master shows him is not a secret world. Uh, it's just a little bonus area where you can get some power-ups. At least they didn't lie this time. But this proper reminded me of way back in Series 1, Episode 1, with the hidden world in Sonic the Hedgehog, where you can go mm. get those fizzy rings. I'm just wondering now whether... You, you know how we sort of talked about there's this sort of vernacular in UK gaming, like end-of-level guardian as opposed to end-of-level boss? Yeah. That we were just referring to these bonus areas as hidden worlds, and that's just what they were called. Yeah. No, I can see that. I can see that making sense. Also, there's a little bit of marketing flim-flam because you know what? It makes it sound more exciting. Yeah. It will get the kids hopped up when they're on the sugar. You know, it, it just sounds a little bit more sexy and a little bit more daring than, oh, here's a bunch of coins. Yeah. Funnily enough, actually, I didn't even know this was there because I'm not sure enough at the game to need those extra power-ups. Um, it's, only the, it's, <laughs> it's only the first level, kid. Come on, mate. Shade thrown at a child on a 20-year-old <laughs> television show. Go you! Um, but yeah, I absolutely love Castle Illusion. I think it's such a good game. Proper holds up. It's slow as fuck, but uh, it proper holds up. It's kind of the same with Fantasia. There is a speed sacrifice, I think, given because of the animation, both the quality and the style. You don't run you lope yeah and it's oh man it's so slow speed running that's a nightmare i've never tried it do you know what? i might give that a shot as well go for it mate great game but amazingly that's all we've got for the consultation zone we've only got two because we had double feature which means it's time for the final challenge what we're we playing games master back for yet more punishment eh your appetite will be well and truly curbed with my last offering faithful fury more gratuitous violence a la Street Fighter 2, anyway. Best of three fights wins. You've never seen. Get stuck in. Oh, it's more gratuitous violence like that there Street Fighter 2, but instead it's Fatal Fury on the Neo Geo. Best of three fights. Get stuck in. Now, some games are considered Street Fighter 2 ripoffs. Fatal Fury is definitely one of those. But they didn't sit on their laurels because even this first game did introduce a new mechanic. It had two planes. You could jump into the foreground and background on a couple of different stages. And whilst not a game changer, it was a novel feature. What yeah. wasn't novel was only having three selectable characters. <laughs> Do you know what's funny as well about that is they don't explain that in sort of like the commentary or, you know, in sort of the build up to this. And then in the final round of this, seemingly by accident they just do it so if you're watching this and you don't know that you're like where are they going oh my god they've broken the game <laughs> <laughs> and for this gratuitous grapple we have a father-son combo so please welcome matthew and ian sleet welcome matthew welcome ian now matthew do you often play your dad at home at the not games? very often not very often so you expect to give him a bit of a thrashing tonight yep Okay. All right, young Matthew is very confident there, Ian. Are you going to show him a thing or two? Well, I've had some uh, special lessons and I think he's going to go home with his tail between his legs. Okay. And possibly here to break that game is a father-son combo of Matthew and Ian Slate. Matthew has got a wonderful Mario shirt on. Um, that's way too big for him. Even by baggy 90s standards, that's a that's an XL I was on an say. M. 
that was a proper 90s baggy shirt but yeah maybe it's slightly too baggy um doesn't get to face his dad very often on the games but ian says he's learned some special lessons and he's going to send his son home with his tail between his legs i thought uh ian was on fine form in this i thought he was really game for it my note on this was this dude loves his son yeah right he gets enough of it to not like kind of disgrace himself as we'll find out in fact he actually does pretty well at least as well as his son on a number of occasions but he's game for the laugh and he doesn't want to embarrass his son he wants to be cool with him but not in that cool dad way just in that kind of understated you know sly fist bump on the side kind of way yeah it's and actually it's really heartwarming it's quite lovely this is the total opposite of the freddie mercury dad we had in uh, series one yeah it is <laughs> who just came across as a bit of a knob really <laughs> it's series one it's back in the past i feel comfortable saying that now he hasn't got in touch he did not come across well but this dad, this dad seems pretty nifty. And I love the whole special lessons thing. And keeping me out of harm's way tonight is GameZone's Vivian Norge. Hello again, Vivian. Hello again, Dominic. Okay, now this is quite a tough game. Any general fighting tips for our two competitors? Just to keep moving, ducking and diving. Generally, just try as many different types of moves as possible, really. We've got Vivian Nooch in the booth back from episode four. And she just suggests trying as many moves as possible. That's an absolute fair comment. Also a fair comment, loving the waistcoat on Vivian. That's peak 90s waistcoat, vertical pattern, left undone, kind of casual, very styling. I appreciate a waistcoat then and I appreciate it now. So this is the Neo Geo version. Matthew is playing as Joe and Ian is playing as Andy. They throw a lots of fists and kicks and Matthew wins the first bout. I don't have a lot of notes on it, I'm afraid. I've got a couple of notes. One is we are not seeing a lot of special moves or indeed any nope in this fight it is very much a rudimentary punching and a kicking kind of game i will say that matthew does work the ranged attacks he's going for the strong kicks and the lunge kicks and a couple of slides he's trying to keep ian at arm's length which is wise because ian's character has the stronger striking ability yeah and when he does land punches it shows he doesn't go down without a fight and while Matthew takes that first round. That second round, it goes to Ian, and it goes to Ian with some degree of authority. Doesn't it just? Yeah, like his dad loves a low punch. Like he's found his tactic, and that low punch really is working for him to get that win. And Matthew is not, I mean, he's not Tristan on super tennis levels of upsets, but there is almost that pang of worries like, oh my God, I'm not going to lose to my dad on TV, am I? He's probably thinking, I'm too old to get the do over that they did on the uh, miniature golf game. Yeah. <laughs> um so yes into the final round this is where matthew's really starting to use joe's reach basically just standing back do those hard kicks and just get those massive long legs uh they head to the back screen for a bit matthew boots him for the win final round's not as exciting as the second um but i overall thought the challenge was pretty great it was it was a lot of fun it was a rudimentary punching a kicking type fight no fireballs nothing of that sort but it was entertaining and it was made even more entertaining by the brilliant father-son relationship yeah. on display. The only way this could have been better is if we'd fast-forwarded a couple of years to the PlayStation era and had these two facing off on Tekken as Hihachi and Kazuha. <laughs> Get some proper family blood going there. Hello, Matthew. Hi, pleasure to you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Now, Matthew, you got off to a good start, but your dad pulled it back in the second bout. 
Were you frightened at all going into the third? Nah, I knew I could beat him. Okay. All right, now, Ian, brilliant comeback, but what was Absolutely. the deciding factor in the end? I'm carrying an old injury at the moment and it started to tell in the third game. Ian, I can sympathise. Thank you. Matthew says that he wasn't frightened. Bullshit, mate. Uh, Ian said, and I love this, Ian was like, oh, I'm carrying an old injury and that really hurt me in the final round. Matthew wins the joystick and there's this lovely wonderful moment where his dad so proud of him just gives him a little rub on the head and Matthew just sort of moves away from it it was so sweet I loved it the fun fact is the first time I watched this through when they got to the end and he was waiting for the diver to bring the joystick up my brain went tussle his hair tussle his hair <laughs> tussled hair Matthew going oh get off dad get off dad but that was an awesome moment yeah that was so nice yeah, that was really, really that nice. was wholesome. Yeah, yeah, wholesome. In fact, bar some of the Dominic jokes, that is a good word for this episode. We've used it before to describe certain challenges and certain aspects, but this entire episode is wholesome. Well, that's it for another show, but never mind. Auntie Marisha's been slaving away in the canteen all day and she has produced a sumptuous king prawn and oyster and black bean sauce. We're certainly going to enjoy that one tonight and we'll see you next week. Well, Auntie Marisha has made a king prawn and oyster in a black bean sauce. I'll take the sauce, mate, and we'll see us in seven days' time. There we are. That's episode nine of series two. We're nearly nearly at the halfway point. We're nearing the halfway point anyway. This was not a groundbreaking episode. I would not say that any of the challenges were super spectacular in their execution, but the episode clipped along. We had some good reviews, even if we didn't agree with the scores. We had a nice little feature on Sonic 2. We had an expensive, bizarre, but otherwise entertaining peripheral for a variety of consoles and PCs. We had the hard sell for Games Fast Alive. We had two very useful tips in the consultation zone. And we ended on this lovely father-son moment and arguably one of the most palatable dishes that Auntie Marisha has <laughs> yeah. served up. Even if not for us, king prawn, oyster and black bean, that that sounds okay. Yeah. That that sounds like that might be on a Chinese restaurant menu. That doesn't sound horrific. And we reunited a couple for true love at the beginning. Luke, this was a lovely episode. <laughs> uh, do you know what? It's one of those episodes. We've had this a couple of times through this podcast run where I've not been particularly enamored with an episode. Or the pair of us have had this when we've not been particularly enamored with an episode. But as soon as we sit down to record it and we talk about it, I find myself enjoying it more and more as we go along. And actually, looking back on this episode, having talked it through with you for the last hour and a half, it really was a lovely episode of Games Master. You know, you could call it contrived, but I really enjoyed the Joe and Mac challenge to rescue Lisa. John Parrott is just tremendous. And the father-son relationship in that final challenge, while not the most skillful uh, display we've ever seen of, of Fatal Fury, it was just quite lovely and wholesome. I, this episode gets a big old thumbs up from me. Now, when we did talk about this before, we were both kind of quite down and meh on the episode. What was your original score going to be? And what is it now? I was going to go early 70s, I think, for this, but I'm now bumping it up into that 80s bracket, and I'm going to go with 83% for it. I was going to give it the Dignity 69, to be honest. <laughs> but now I've charged ahead. I'm even above you. I'm giving it an 85. Nice. Very nice. 85, it's the new 69. <laughs> it's 20% higher than Sonic 2. Um, that is all we've got time for. Let it go, man. <laughs> Let it go. 
That's all we've got time for on this episode of Under Consultation. Please do find us on the old social medias. We're on Twitter at underconsolepod. We're on Instagram under.console. And you can email us with your feedback to the shows at feedback at underconsultation.com. And we've even got a Discord now, if you know what one of those things is. You can find details of that on our other bits of social media. And I'll be in there. Luke will be in there. There may be chat. If you want more chat there, join and make the chat happen. Absolutely. Uh, Also, special thanks to Larry for joining us earlier. That was great. It was wonderful to speak to him. Oh, yeah. And also thanks to my old mate Medsky, because it turns out that even after 20 odd years, you can still learn something new about an old friend. And if you want to get next week's episode a week early and ad-free, head on over to patreon.com forward slash under console pod and back us at the £5 level. If you back us at the £10 level, you can get a super sweet merch pack and Ash is holding one up now on our Skype cam and it looks bloody lovely. What a nice looking mug that is. It is. In fact, I've got two of them. Oh, you swish bastard. Oh, yeah. they are nice though, aren't they? They are nice. And that mug won't just be alone. It will come with stickers and other bits and pieces in. It will be a proper old school merch pack. And for those of you that are going, well, I like a mug. I like a nice cuppa. But what about if I want something cool to wear in the warm weather that we're getting? Now we can go outside again. Keep your eyes peeled. That first under consultation T-shirt will be available soon. But we will be back in seven days' time with episode 10 of Series 2. This series is really chugging along now, and we are nearing Games Master Live. We'll see you in seven days' time. Take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.